Hi everyone, it's Kino here. Thanks so much for joining me on Seek Up, the yoga inspiration show. I am so grateful for you and grateful to you for tuning in and sharing this journey with me. I am overwhelmed with how many people come up to me and say that they're really enjoying this type of communication, teaching, and sharing. So thank you so much for being a part of this journey of yoga, this journey of spirituality, this journey of mindfulness, this journey of seeking wisdom. More than anything else, this is meant to support the seeker's journey, meant to support you on the path. If you find this series of teaching really beneficial, the way that you can support this series is to become a member of the Om Stars yoga community and practice. We have decided to make this series free and available to everyone so that no matter where you are in the world, you can get the teachings that will hopefully provide sustenance for the seeker's journey. And for those of you that can become a member and give your support, please know that I appreciate it. And I'll see you on the mat real soon. Hi, everyone. It's Kino here. Thanks for tuning in to Seek Up, which is the inspiration show. I'm here with Rob Mack. Hi, Rob. Hi, Kino. So happy to be here. Me too. I'm happy you're here. For everyone, please meet Rob. He is a happiness and positive psychology coach and the author of two books and a friend of mine so so good to see you again oh my gosh i know it's like it feels like it's both yesterday and also forever ago at the same time exactly what you mean about that yeah yeah so there's so much we could talk about and we've kind of had an ongoing conversation about how we can use our thoughts, our vibration, our emotions to get back into alignment and put ourselves on the path of our highest potential. And maybe we can start there. Yes. You know, I, I feel like some of the things that have been coming up is how to actually do that in a practical way, how mm. to actually use the power of our mind and our thoughts to be happier. Yes. You know, yes. There, there's a lot of science behind it now. So it's not only kind of new age thinking, there's, you know, a, their master's degree program in happiness yes. studies, and there's real science behind the theory of happiness and the way we can impact that with how we think and how we be. Yeah. Kind of an expensive program. That yeah. I talk. <laughs> Still see that bill there. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah um, it's, it's fascinating because, you know, for me, my journey of becoming a happiness coach was, was such a personal one, right? Because mm-hmm. it started with me really sucking at all of that. I mean, I was so depressed for so long and I was so suicidal. I was experiencing suicidal, suicidal ideation for, you know, really decades. And then I had a suicidal experience. And we, we talked about it maybe mm-hmm. a few times. And um, when I was digging myself out of that hole, I couldn't start with my thoughts. I had to start with activities, right? So I had to start with like, now I call them like happiness islands. So I would just identify like the people, places, things, and activities that allowed me to feel inspired, happy to be alive, energized with very little time, energy, or effort. And I just try to do more of those things because I found that I almost needed training wheels. I couldn't just focus on what I was grateful for. It didn't seem to work. And when it didn't work, I found that I felt guilty because I couldn't feel grateful about things that seemed so obviously gratitude, they should be gratitude provoking or gratitude, you know, creating. But so like running water, 
Mm-hmm. Right, like a food and shelter, things like that. So I did actually start with activities first. Mm-hmm. Um, I love yeah. this happiness island. Yes. I think that's really, really powerful because we can, you know, over the past couple of years, so many of us have been stuck in our homes. Mm-hmm. And then to be stuck in our homes and be surrounded with our thoughts yes. and then start to think, well, I have the power to control how I feel, but I'm miserable right now. Mm-hmm. And then to really think it's overwhelming to just sit there with your thoughts. Yes. And then maybe to find those happiness islands has become harder for many people who maybe didn't have the opportunity to go to the beach yes. or go do this activity. And maybe it used to be something that was really, really powerful. But because of the restrictions mm-hmm. over the last two years mm-hmm. then, or three years now, then maybe maybe they weren't able to do that. So what, totally. was, what was a happiness island for you? Would mm-hmm. you share one? Yeah, of course. So I struggled at first a lot um, <laughs> in the beginning. But I remember uh, for sure, um, first I started with things that were, I was reaching too high. So it was things like I was, I was trying to force myself um, to feel happy about things or grateful about things that I thought I should feel happy or grateful for. Right. So, right? so, that, so I started there. So then I realized, oh no. And I was thinking myself out of it all the time. Right. So I was like, I kind of do, I think I like reading. I kind of like reading. I think I'd write. And I was like second guessing it. And then at some point I got to a place where it was like, okay, I need it to be more visceral. Right. So what's the most, and I was like, gosh, I love beautiful women. Literally. <laughs> I was like, literally beautiful women. I was like, oh my gosh, this is all I have. Like, it's great. But like, I, you know, I feel so shallow so it started there and then I was like oh wait there's some music that I love mm-hmm. and so I was starting to live my day in a way that I would take note of or begin to notice things that I felt intrinsically inspired by um, and then as I kept going I realized wait I, I, I always did like basketball and then I realized later oh I do like reading but it's only certain kinds of books so one of the things I discovered in the practice and the process was like asking the W questions so you identify these happiness islands you try to keep it visceral so it's sort of like what do you feel in your body mm-hmm. right has the to be, felt sense yes of it. yeah felt sense you know i love that so and then you ask yourself the w questions which is like okay the what you just answered mm-hmm. but then it's like with whom where mm. when and the most important one of all is the regressive why question so it's like why do i love this thing or what is it about this thing that i love the most so for instance with me at first i was like i think i like reading I like, no i don't like reading just anything i like reading spiritual books psychology books mm-hmm. and i like having conversations about psychology and spirituality. And I realized the only adults, mm-hmm. mostly grateful adults, mostly smart adults, you know, it was like, you know, start getting more granular. The island's pretty small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost <laughs> like you realize, yeah, you're basically living in like two mile radius. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so but yeah, that's that important to identify. Yes. Because then you could feel like, well, I, you know, I should be happy in Barnes and Nobles and I'm not. You know, I'm surrounded by all these books and I don't yes. like, you know, I'm reading, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't like it. And then we can end up in this downward spiral of, of what many people start to refer to as new age guilt. You know, I'm, I'm doing all of these things that I should be really happy yes. about, but I'm not happy. So I'm failing in my own happiness. Oh. And then they end up kind of in a cycle of blame and shame and guilt around failing at the techniques of, of, of sort of, you know, mental, spiritual liberation. Oh, so good. You know, that's precisely what I experienced too. You make mm-hmm. the pain more painful. Mm-hmm. Um, you make the, you know, suffering more painful. And so to that point, I had to learn to like go of the judgment around it. It's like, okay, if right now I just like chocolate, that's like my thing or whatever, then it's, that's fine. It's just chocolate. Mm-hmm. And part of that also was identifying the opposite of those, which is like happiness deserts. So mm-hmm. there were certain people, places, things, and activities that made me feel drained or that drained me, that made me feel um, depressed or sad. Uh, they seemed to trigger me more. So the idea was let's try to get out of my life as many of the deserts as humanly possible by you know, I would try to outsource, delegate, reduce, eliminate, automate, or regulate. Those are the six options. But I just tried to 
basically get out from underneath of those things, people, places, or activities. And just that was a huge step up because I suddenly realized that in that experience, in that process, it was like training wheels. It was so much easier now to feel gratitude. It was so much easier now to focus in ways that I felt were productive or enjoyable um, or efficacious in some way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that it's so important to realize that we actually have control over what goes into our day. Mm. We have control over how we spend our time. Yes. We have control over those moments, even if we live a really, really busy life with a lot of work obligations and a lot of family obligations. If you look in your day, there's so much wasted time. There's so much time that we get sucked into reading the news. And maybe we enjoy reading the news, maybe not necessarily as much yes. as we do, or we get sucked into answering emails, or we just get sucked into playing games on our phone or yeah. something like that. When if we could take that time and reallocate it towards a happiness island mm. and reallocate it to something that gives meaning, yes. at the same time, it can be so difficult to actually start that's right. To do that. That's, that's impetus. right. So that's what right. was the impetus? Like, where did it start that you were like, okay, yeah. I, you know, it's not, I mean, for uh, you, it was like, a, there was a, some real rock bottoms. Yeah. But, yeah. You know? Yeah. So for me, it was like, um, I had achieved not that much, but I had achieved enough by like 19, 20, 21, nothing extraordinary, but it was like, all right, I want to get good grades and be valedictorian and salutatorian in my high school class. Mm-hmm. Okay. I did that. And I was like, I want to make some friends eventually because I had no friends. I was like, <laughs> I had no friends. I was the uh, most shy in my high school class as well. So I made some friends. I was like, I want to have a beautiful, brilliant girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And I had that. And I was like, I want to make some money and get a great like a job of some kind. Did that. And then I realized that even though you know, I did all those things, the one thing I most wanted was to be a professional basketball player. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen. So that was crushing. But I realized that despite achieving all of these things that I ultimately or thought I always wanted, I didn't feel better for it. Right. Right. So objectively, I was doing better. Subjectively, I was feeling worse. Mm-hmm. So I kind of came to the end of this sort of flawed premise or false belief system that basically said you can achieve happiness like through achievement itself. Mm-hmm. So that for me was huge. I was like, okay, my best effort, all my hardest work and my best thinking has got me to this place where I'm deeply depressed and so suicidal that I'm actually taking action on it. Mm-hmm. That's, that was a game changer for me because I was like, oh, wait, what I'm doing isn't working and what people have told me would lead to a happy life isn't working. So I, like a small child, like I, I don't remember, did you have like opposite day in school? Yeah, okay. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I did. I was like, okay, I'm just going to pull like an opposite day, but I'm going to make every day an opposite day, right? <laughs> so I was like, a corporate job I hated, I want to be done with it. Yeah. This beautiful, incredible woman that I'm in a relationship with, I'm going to, we're going to have to go our separate ways. Uh, that's scary yes so I started just making the opposite decision Uh that's where I started yeah where did you start well you know if I can look back now one of the things that I think was a major life change for me and this is going to sound completely bizarre is that I was on this track when I was in high school to be a lawyer I was on this like lawyer and like my mom really wanted me to be a lawyer I was really good at debate and I was on the debate team Uh and I also had this goal to graduate in the top of my high school class and all of these sorts of things and I'd been accepted on a full scholarship to a debate school and then this my senior year in high school there was a lag time between the end of the high school period and the start of college, and I had no debate. So I had no prep for debate. And then I woke up one morning for the first time since my grandfather had died when I was almost nine years old, and I woke up and I felt happy. 
And I remember seeing the light coming through the windows and waking up with the dawn and seeing the filtered kind of golden embers of the sunlight and the shadows of the tree leaves and looking up and feeling like, I feel so happy. Why? And I asked that question, why? Why do I feel so happy suddenly? I've been miserable for so many years. I remember thinking that. I've been miserable, and I didn't make a connection to my grandfather's death then, but I can now. But I, and, I, and I realized at that moment, my realization was, I'm not preparing for debate. Deba- and then the next thought was, debate is scheduled arguing. Every high school weekend that you had, you argued from Friday night, all day Saturday, all day Sunday. You argued for the weekend, and then during the week, you prepared to argue. And when you did really well, you argued so well, so you crushed the other person. <laughs> and they left crying, and you oh. felt like, I won. Yeah. And that is what you dedicated your life to. And if you continue down this path, this will be your job. Wow. And you will not only argue on the weekend, but you will argue every day of your life for your entire career. And I just said, I quit. Wow. So I rejected the debate scholarships, which um, was somewhat problematic. And then I had only two schools that were non-debate schools that I, and so I chose one of those. And I was a little bit lost, to be honest with you, until I found yoga. Mm. And then yoga was one of the first things that, that gave me that yes, because I didn't know what after that. I just knew what not, mm. you know? That's um, profound. Talk about fireworks going off. Yeah. Right. And you just described something, explained something so well, which is, you know, like from the field of positive psychology, we know the two unhappiest professions by and large are law and medicine. Okay. <laughs> and if you think about particularly law, the point and purpose is to be right, not happy. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so you were extraordinarily effective at that and therefore not happy. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so many of us continue to live our lives that way, even if we're not lawyers. Right. We just want yeah. to be right and not happy. It's fascinating because, and there's a couple of, there's another parallel there for me was that when I, so there's a point where I got to, you know, so I became so suicidal. I was like, I'm done. Like I've tried everything. Nothing's making me happier. It doesn't feel like I'm ever going to be happier at all. So did some research, looked up ways to kill myself and I got a knife and stick it in my wrist. And at that point, I'm not sure what I expected to happen, but what I did not expect to happen, which actually happened is that like without anything changing in my life. I mean, I had a pretty good life. I felt so much peace and so much joy and so much happiness in the moment that I was digging this knife into my wrist that, I mean, I was blown away by it. It was ineffable, you know, like I couldn't express it. And so I was like, I'm going to put the suicide off for like a couple minutes, <laughs> you know, at a time right now it's laughable. Then it was like, I'm not going to make a couple minutes because life sucks. And um, I was like, I need to explore this a little bit. Like what happened then? I realized Kind of like what you're saying was that it wasn't even so much that I had or was thinking positive thoughts. I just wasn't thinking about everything that was going wrong in my mm-hmm. life. And finally, it took me about 20 years. I'm a slow learner, apparently. But it took me about 20 years to realize, like, oh, wait, what actually happened is that my mind was finally cool, calm, quiet, collected. Essentially, my mind was pretty empty for at least a micro moment. And in that micro moment, all this peace and love and happiness shined through mm-hmm. for once. Um, but it's interesting that in both of our experiences, there was, was a recognition that came from an experience where we let go of focusing on what was making us miserable. And that in of itself was enough to feel true happiness and peace and love. That's so beautiful. Just to let go. Yeah. 
And then there's also this question, though, of, well, so you have this experience and then some people expect this of me as this you know, yoga teacher and maybe people expect this of you as like a happiness yeah. and positive psychology coach yeah. to never have a bad day, mm-hmm. you know, to never have a day where you feel down. Yeah. And so I've had to share, you know, like I'm so much happier than I was before. Yeah. I'm in a different space as an individual. My, my day-to-day living is in a totally different space. Um, and I still struggle. And I still have thoughts that come up. Like I'll share something recently that was kind of ridiculous is that when I came back from Europe, I somehow was brushing my teeth and I felt a hole in a tooth, which was horrible. I just felt like, oh, I've got a hole in one of my teeth, you know? What do I do? So, I mean, and then, and then, of course, I call the dentist and the dentist is closed because it's on Friday and after work hours mm-hmm. and it opens until Tuesday. And my mind instantly went to catastrophizing. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, it'll be okay. You'll like, yeah. there's, a, no. there's a reason for this. I saw, and this is quite a funny image, in my mind, my grandfather with dentures. Oh, and he had dentures. Right away. So immediately, I've got bad genetics. Oh, no. I'm going to lose Kino. my teeth. I'm going to have dentures. Yes. And then within a year, yeah. I won't survive with this. It's the whole, the tooth is coming out. Oh. I lost the tooth. I'm not saying anything to anyone. It's all just right. internal. Oh. I have the tools to work with it right now. You know, so I'm watching this catastrophizing while at the same time coming back to the breath, coming back to the body, working with my thoughts, admitting that this potential for um, you know, what we call in meditation propancha, which is the proliferation of negative thoughts to such a degree so that point A, point B, point C, to each individual step makes sense. But if you look at point A to point Z, it's insanity. Yeah, right. You know, and so I'm watching this ah, yes. proliferation happen, which is this catastrophizing on this insane scale, observing that. So there's one element of me that's observing that. And then there's another element of me that is engaged ah. in that. And so I'm sitting with this schism. I arrive at the dentist's office and I'm ready for, you're losing the tooth. Yeah. You know, you have yeah. a, I've gone everywhere yeah. from you're losing the tooth, you have an infection that's oh. spreading into your brain because oh, no. I have a headache. I'm, yeah, I mean, it's really... Going in. On the, going <laughs> in. And I'm also, yeah, I'm yeah. also thinking, you know, you're a drama queen, you better yeah. calm down. And then, and then the dentist very calmly said, um, well, I can't see it without the magnifying glass. So oh. it's very small. <laughs> and then he puts the glasses on and says, oh, you're... you're the, the very small filling in one of your teeth that was there oh 10 gosh. years ago has popped out. That's it. So let's uh, just put the little filling back in. And I said, I'm not going to lose the tooth. Oh. I went through these whole things. And he very funny, he, you know, in a very joking way said, have you never tried meditation? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, so it's interesting. It be like this expectation that because I meditate, because I'm engaged in the spiritual path, I'm never going to have those thoughts. That's not the case. I have the tools to work with them yes. when they arise so that I don't, you know, give in to them yes. and end up just catatonic in the room, <laughs> not even able to go to the dentist oh, out of totally. the fear of what might happen. Mm. So, so good. do wow. people ever say to you, do people ever have that expectation to you? Oh, totally. You know? Yeah. Oh, I remember. Um, and it happened, it happened earlier, I think, when I was just starting my practice, my private practice. And, um you know, like if I would ever say anything was wrong, mm-hmm. like I wouldn't even necessarily be, need to complain. I would just say like, you know, I prefer this over that. Where they would say, what's going on? You okay? Like, you know, and I remember somebody said, actually said to me, one close to me said, you're a happiness coach. Like you're not supposed to have a bad day. And I remember thinking, dang, that's kind of tough. Now here's what I found and discovered about. So at first, of course, you have a knee jerk reaction. You're like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I'm a human being. And even though I don't know how to do anything else in my life. And I've dedicated my entire life to this one thing. Um, and I feel like, you know, I'm so much, I'm so grateful because I'm 
not where I used to be, mm-hmm. not quite ever where you want to be hypothetically, right? I still felt like, you know what? They do have a point though. So it was a that bifurcation piece, the schism that you talked about. On one hand, I was like, knee-jerk reaction, like, well, I'm human. On the other, I was also like, ah, this person is calling me up to kind of the emotional scale and they are calling me to like live the teaching that I wrote a book about and then I'm preaching to everybody about, right? So I was like, yeah. you know, it's like, okay, we don't need to hear a sermon, Rob, as much as we need to see one kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, in the end, I'm very grateful for that experience because I do like to be reminded that, hey, if um, you say that you're, or you want to be a living and shining example for people, you want to be a light for people, then you know the job is to be the light. And part of being the light means being able to be unconditionally, hold unconditional regard and be non-judgmental, at least be able to observe the moments when you have catastrophic thoughts, black mm-hmm. and white thinking, like all those, you know, all the uh, disordered thinking and all the thinking biases and errors that we make, that we all make and have all the time, right? So you're right. It's like, the, what I love about what you said though is like, I guess the challenge and opportunity is to increasingly intervene on your own behalf earlier and earlier in that experience. Because mm-hmm. the thoughts kind of come out of nowhere. Absolutely. Right? Like, you just had to, like, okay, maybe you noticed or felt something there, but then the rest of the thoughts were just automatic. Mm-hmm. You didn't know how to hold a lot of control about that. Um, but yeah, it's fascinating because I think um, we have lots of ideas about what meditators or happy people should <laughs> look like or sound like or be like, right? Especially in the world of meditation and yoga, you know, the pictures and the imagery are all of this kind of story of peacefulness and story of following in the path of the Buddha and walking this, you know, road of equanimity. And then you see these images of, you know, people with the eyes closed and you have no idea what's going on internally. Yes. You have no idea of the struggles and and the sort of methodical retraining Mm. of the mental processes that meditators are involved in and how sort of a deep operation of the mind it is. Oh, totally. Yeah. You you hear Rob? I mean, um, one of my favorite spiritual, so many spiritual teachers, in addition to Kino, is uh, is, uh, Ramana Maharshi. I mean, Mm -hmm. and he would say, you know, Ramana Maharshi was, uh, you know, spiritual teacher, Indian guru. And, you know, he had an experience of enlightenment enlightenment and awakening at a very young age. He was having a panic attack, right? And he had this panic attack. And then he he realized he was so scared of death that he should, like, look into it a little. So he would lay down and basically do a death meditation that he just made up on his own. And uh, he kind of had an awakening as a result of that. So he was just going to be a wandering ascetic. He had no intention of being a teacher guru. He's like, you know, he's just going to exist kind of the way Eckhart Tolle was on the park Mm -hmm. benches and stuff. But then people started, like, bumping up into him and, like, running into him and saying, oh, my gosh, this guy, there's something special about him. Feel all this peace. So, lo and behold, an ashram develops around him and the whole thing. And what's interesting about that is it just, first of all, proves that he's sort of like an authentic teacher. But more than that, he would say over and over again, no, you're going to have to be vigilant, vigilant to the end of your life. You know, this is someone who's experienced the waking already, or that enlightenment already, and, and saying, no, it's something that you have to continue to be vigilant and disciplined and, I would say, committed to, right? So, um, yeah, I think um, we sort of sometimes make, um, well, we put people on pedestals. Mm-hmm. We put people on pedestals and we put people on experiences. Mm-hmm. And there is this natural human tendency to elevate our heroes yes. and to place them above us. Yeah. And, this and then is, throw rocks at them. Yeah, it's a very, it's very interesting. It's very interesting. And in that way we build yeah. someone up to tear them down. Mm-hmm. And if we could just relate as equal from the beginning, then maybe there wouldn't be a need for that kind of power struggle. Well, exactly. And that's also why I think, you know, of course, what I would consider the um, true teachers and uh, helping professionals, they always point you back to your own wisdom. Mm-hmm. And they always say, essentially, whatever it is that you're looking 
um, within me for, exist within you, so look within yourself for it kind of thing. Um, you know, it's tempting and easy to look at and identify like all the errors or mishaps or mistakes that any teacher, guru, or coach makes. Um, but in some ways, it's a good reminder that you should be looking within yourself and not to them. Oh, absolutely. Right? And then also the idea that those flaws normalize your own flaws. So, right. you know, I, 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 it took me a while as a teacher to actually be very, very forthcoming with not only my, my, my inner story of struggle, yeah. but also just, you know, I struggle in the poses still of yeah. yoga. Yeah. I struggle, you know, in meditation. I still experience days where my mind is distracted. And I think normalizing that from the view and the role of the teacher normalizes the struggle and difficulty in the student as well. Absolutely. And there's this interesting kind of schism that I think people... are talking about in the sort of culture of awakening now, Mm -hmm. which is the schism between, yes, we want to find those happiness islands, and there's also a lot of shadow work that's Mm -hmm. being done. So sometimes when we talk about, you know, focusing on the reality that we want to create, changing our reactions to things, grasping towards a a happier thought, moving towards 10% more happiness in our lives, or the practice of metta, loving kindness, which we actively cultivate in meditation. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people say, well, wait a minute, no more hearts and sunshine. We want to let the shadow in. Mm -hmm. And, And sometimes I feel like For myself, I know that if I don't have a problem letting the shadow in, for me, I feel like the shadow comes and knocks on the door. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we're good. So I feel like more, it's more the acknowledgement of that the shadow is, and then what to do from there. This is this is this is the challenge and opportunity with talking about things that are ultimately not easily or really at all talkable about right like, mm-hmm. yeah, like it's ineffable i mean right like mm-hmm. the doubt that can be told is not the real doubt so it, you know this is the piece that passes the understanding mm-hmm. past the understanding because you can't really talk about it whatever it is you talk about isn't it mm-hmm. right so that's part of the challenge here is that when we speak at all it's always a concession to language there's that and then there's also the other point which is that um everyone is at a different place in their journey mm-hmm. right so um that might be perfectly true like to your point like gotta spend more time in shadow work great um, and there are folks who have done the shadow work and maybe most of their lives has been the shadow work. You know, for me, I was very intimately you know, yeah. like familiar with the shadow. The shadow and I were cool. We we're hanging out all day, every day, making each other miserable, mostly shadow making me miserable. And I, you know, spent most of my life doing that. So I have no interest in shadow work anymore. Um, it's great. I love it for people who um, find it very useful and very helpful and beneficial. Um, but for me, um, you know, I have a very strong felt intuitive um, knowing that that ultimately the truth in the true self there is no shadow um, and, and if and you know if you're like I spend a lot of time focusing on the shadow identifying with the shadow fighting the shadow but you can't fight a shadow right and you can't there's nothing you can really do to the shadow all you can do is turn towards the light ultimately you know if you want to get rid of the shadow you have to turn towards the light so um, but I, and again I love wherever people are whatever they're finding useful and helpful um, but I, I, I would say um, this is the challenge we're even talking about it. Absolutely. Right? And there's different levels, as you said. So there is this superficiality of positivity, mm-hmm. which you mm-hmm. could consider to be sort of toxic positivity. Sure. Of just like, everything is positive, positive, yeah. positive. There's no problem with anything. We love everyone. Yeah. We're like, 
Actually, that's totally not true. Mm -hmm. There are problems, and we don't love everyone. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. so I feel like if we're if we're interacting with that kind of broad level toxic positivity yes. that is sort of eyes wide shut positivity, then absolutely we need to do some shadow work so that we can truly embrace the reality of what is. Oh, yes. And if we're not seeing reality clearly, then absolutely we need to break down whatever bubble we're in so that we can actually process what's there. Oh. You know? It's authenticity, the mm -hmm. catch phrase, and the key word there is authenticity. Um, so a good example, um, for me, uh, I would say in my journey, I remember so many times um, feeling like the world is going to hell in a handbasket. I'm the worst person ever. Everybody else sucks too, and I'm never going to be happy. That was my truth, okay? And, um, and also, uh, we're all going to die. That was the other thing. And that, and that, all, that all sucks. Now, you know, it's interesting because I can see clearly that none of that is true. I feel deeply and truly that none of that is true. Mm -hmm. The difference is, had at that time I tried to say, essentially, that everything is fine, everything is great, it would have been nothing more than repression. Mm -hmm. and I would have been lying to myself, mm -hmm. right? Um, that being said, if you only look at what's going wrong and just beat that drum, you will tend to find more and more of it. That's just the way it works. You can't not find more of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't be happy by focusing on unhappy things all day, every day. Like you're not going to feel love if you focus on things that are loveless all day, every day. So part of my journey, and I want to hear what yours was, is was like learning to tell. This is where Abraham Hicks came in, very helpful. Like you, you know, it was very valuable to me. It was like, how can I tell a better feeling story based in truth? So there's, it's like it's raining. My first thought was, it's a bad day, right? It's a bad day. Oh, it's raining. Yeah. What do you mean? It's a bad day. It's a horrible day. I don't like rain. It's a bad day. Right? And then I was like, okay, that's true, but what's the more constructive way of speaking about that? Meaning speaking about it in a way that supports and contributes to me experiencing what I want to experience or feeling what I want to feel. Saying it's a bad day did not contribute to me having a better day. Mm -hmm. But saying that, well, I certainly do love sunshine and I love when it's sunny outside. And the great thing about rain is that it makes me appreciate the sunshine so much more. Mm -hmm. And also I feel less guilt being inside and reading or taking a nap. All of a sudden, it just allowed me to shift my vibration just enough in a way that was more constructive and supportive and positive, but I wasn't lying to myself. It wasn't like I was pasting a smiley sticker over mm -hmm. an empty gas tank kind mm -hmm. of thing. Absolutely. I love that. And I think that the disciplined, methodical approach to that is something often overlooked. It takes so much strength in that moment to mm -hmm. reach for that slightly better thought. Yes. And this is something that when people say, oh, it's just a sticker of positivity, we're like, no, no, no. I just dug myself out of a hole. Mm. And that was hard won work. So <laughs> like, I really, you really grasp for those things inside. And I don't know. I feel like I've had some very interesting things come up in regards to working with that. I mean, so much of the work that I've done with reprogramming my mind has been in meditation retreats. And I feel like one of the biggest trainings in the meditation that I practice called Vipassana is equanimity. So we just come back to neutral, come back to neutral, come back to neutral. We observe what is, we come back to neutral. And the neutral is always grounded in the sensations, in the felt sense of the body. So this is kind of like what I've, what I've noticed is that I've gone into these retreats and there have been certain days where there have been, maybe it was raining, maybe it was too cold, maybe there was, you know, someone making noises in the meditation, in, you know, in the meditation mm. hall. There's always something, as they say, there's always some squeaking sound. Yes. You can rather do that, you know? <laughs> right. And then, and then I would find, I would watch the reaction to it. I would watch the thought of, 
you know, the judgment come up or the irritation or the complaint and those cycles of thoughts and come back to the breath and back to equanimity and back to the breath and back to equanimity. And then what's interesting with the meditation technique is that if I could truly stay with the breath and the body, that better feeling thought would naturally present itself. But if I couldn't reach equanimity, then I would just observe that state of what is within myself and try to come back to equanimity. And the really amazing thing for me about the meditation retreats is I would come back into life equipped with these tools, expecting to meet the same quality again. And then sometimes the magic and kind of like the miraculous transformation of the meditation retreat is that, would, let's take the rain. I also don't, I don't like rain and cold weather. Like that's kind of like, I'm born and raised in Florida and, you know, like rain and cold weather, I start to have some kind of visceral, like, to, or at least I did, you know? And then, and then something just shifts. And then suddenly the same experience, I'm just watching, and then that old story's gone. I just appreciate that so much, what you're saying there. And it's interesting that you say that because I agree. Um, there was a, I had, so I started very negative, you know, focusing on negative, and then I realized um, I'm going to need to over-index in the opposite direction to find anywhere near a happy medium. Mm-hmm. So, and then I did that for a long period of time. And then I realized that was so effortful still, like to always be telling a better feeling more supportive, more constructive, but truthful story about everything kind of became exhausting for me. It was like, it's a little exhausting, although I got better at it and your brain rewires itself, so it makes it easier um, for you. But at some point I still discovered that I still had anxiety underneath and I would still feel some overwhelm. And I would, and then to your point, I realized, wait, what if I just stick to the facts? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, it doesn't have to be a bad day. It doesn't have to be a good day. It's just raining. <laughs> full stop, yeah. right? Full stop. Yeah. Like I don't need to add any additional judgment mm-hmm. or layer in any additional, um, or have any additional evaluation of any of it, like good or bad. Mm-hmm. And for me, that is equanimity. Mm-hmm. And that Absolutely. is, right? And you suddenly discover to your point that when you're back in neutral, positive, inspiring thoughts find you to work so hard to find them. So I love that so much. And I would say that most of my day um, these days isn't like, it's just like, I just want to uh, exist um, or be aware, become increasingly aware that we're always existing in that placeless place or spaceless space, that thoughtless, wordless, faceless, formless, infinite, eternal, peaceful aliveness that is equanimity. We're always there. Mm-hmm. The true self is always that, right? It's mm-hmm. all, that's only that. It's only that. And sometimes the mind gets in the way and tells you all kinds of stories about what should be happening or shouldn't be happening. And we lose the seed of equanimity. Yes. We start reacting into something. We right. go into the old patterns, which are familiar, you know, we right. get triggered in one way or another. Mm. And then and then we have the tools. If you have the tools to come back to the seat to equanimity, if you have the tools to work with the mind in those moments, then I think that's like that's the hope that the spiritual path offers is that, you know, rather than meeting these kind of repetitive patterns without any hope for some kind of change or transformation, that there are real tools that can bring you back into that eternal self, that can give you a real window into the, the experience, the experiential liberation. Absolutely. And you, and you only need one tool, you, right? Yeah. It's like, you, can, you only need one. You, yeah. It's great. Have 10, have a thousand. Mm-hmm. It's good to have as many as you want. Mm-hmm. It's like a tool. But, but, you know, I also realized like if you take any one tool, and you just commit and you take it as far as you can, it mm-hmm. leads you to all the other tools. They're Absolutely. all essentially the same, Yeah. right? It's like, um, for, for me, I sometimes just call it not thinking. Like the power and value of not thinking for me is just, I can't express it. Like my happiest moments on any particular day, no matter what happens or doesn't happen, is are those moments when I've um, forgotten the world, 
I've forgotten all my desires. I've forgotten all my fears. I forgot, and I forget everybody in the world. I forget, forget even myself, body, the mind. And you just aren't thinking about anything, just mm-hmm. perceiving. It, it, it's just already perfect. It's already perfect equanimity and peace. Just that. Of course, it took me 20 years to get to a place where I would fully re- could um, appreciate that because when I had that suicidal experience, that's all that really happened. For a micro moment, my mind was quiet, mm-hmm. right? So the tool was always there, mm-hmm. but I, wasn't, I couldn't really appreciate it and I wasn't practicing it intentionally. And so learning and finding and discovering other tools eventually led me back to this essential tool that I think is probably at the heart of a lot of it. Like the somatic experience you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. like with meditation. I mean, a lot of... Um, what is somatic experiencing or somatic therapy except for getting in touch with the body. And so being more invested in the experience in the body than the explanations in the brain. Mm-hmm. And being neutral to the sensations, mm-hmm. you know, neutral to the sensations, mm-hmm. to chain in that neutrality and then the deeper awareness of the different types of sensations, you know, because we have the superficial sensations and then we have the depth layer of the mind, which is constantly yeah. feeling the subconscious sensations. Mm-hmm. And then to, to get into that layer, you know, to let the, to let the conscious mind be able to perceive the subconscious mind mm-hmm. and then to train on that deep, deep layer, something mm-hmm. completely, completely other. So I feel like one of the things that I really connected with, when you just said, is this kind of thoughtless, wordless state. Yeah. And what came up for me was wonder, mm. you know, to kind of move about in a yes. state of wonder yes. without any plan, without any expectation, to just sort of remain open to the state of what is. And then to experience sort of the, the powerful play of what can happen when our desires uh, sort of step out of the way, our expectations step out of the way, and we can just show up and experience what is. And I'm a, I used to be a big planner and I used to be a big kind of projector of the things I wanted to accomplish and my dreams and this sort of thing. And then to experience a shift where there's just wonder. Oh, instead. listen, I know how much of a planner you are because you know what I mean? <laughs> listen, and it was, it was always, it was, uh, it was never anything but refreshing and because I could probably uh, use more planning at the time of mine. But you were like, I remember once you sent me an email, I asked for something. I said, oh, where are you going to be? Blah, blah, blah. And let me tell you, you had like a three-year plan with like every date. And I was like, this is amazing. I'm such a slacker. Oh my gosh. It was phenomenal. Like day, like every date. I thought that was so incredible. And to your point, um, there is such um, peace and joy um, and happiness in just letting things be, right? And just being where you are. Like the active response says, um, it's keeping my mind where my body is. And... It's, like you said, keeping your mind quiet while your body is where your body is, right, kind of thing. And um, everybody talks about that in different ways, but it's presence, it's what is. Um, but I'd say that if there's one invitation, I can say, like, it's like, Rob, just, just hearing that, like, yeah, for sure, like, there are lots of things to look forward to, maybe, lots of things to worry about, and no use worrying about any of them. It's like, if I could just enjoy this moment, and then this moment, and this moment, and I think that's the one thing I... Um, feel so grateful about is like kind of coming to a place where you get a download or inside a reminder that, you know, we all get so caught up. And I know I got, I've gotten so caught up in my life in the past, um, trying to create a happy life that I forget it's the happy moments when strung together that make for a happy life. Mm-hmm. It's just the happy moments. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, it's an easy thing to forget. It's like, no, that it's the happy moments when you string those together, um, that make for the happiest life. 
it's so easy to get out ahead of yourself. And so easy to disregard the happy moments. Mm. That's the other thing that happens is sometimes people only recognize retrospectively when that happy moment was there. People look back and they sort of relish this golden era of their life and think, oh, that was so wonderful. But if they went back to that moment, were they relishing it? Were they appreciating in the moment? Mm. So I feel like one of the things that truly really tapping into that sense of presence can do is help us wake up to the happiness that is there and appreciate it, you know, Mm. and we can almost like milk it a little bit there. So if we see a sunrise with the light filtering in, instead of just going like, yeah, yeah, it's pretty, we can pause and let it in and let that really sort of imprint our our brain, imprint our emotional system, imprint our energy system and take it in. There's a quote you remind me of, which is, um, the moment you teach a child the name of a tree, they never see a tree again. Mm. And I think it, it's so true. It's like, oh, I've seen the sunset. That was a beautiful sunset. Beautiful. Did you? But you did. Did you really experience it? Mm-hmm. Did you, or did you just experience your thought about it, your idea about it, your concept about it? Did you really actually just remember some? You had a memory of it. Is what would happen. You experienced the memory of it. You didn't experience it directly. And we do that with each other too, right? It's like, oh, I remember Kino. I know Kino, right? It's like, but do you? Like, you know, or I, I love Kino. I hate Kino, whatever it is. It's like, but do you, or do you, do you, do you just love your idea of Kino? Do you just hate your idea of Kino? Like, if you're experiencing Kino, it doesn't need to be any thought about Kino. It's just like, it can be an experience in and of itself. It's, the experience of Kino can be thoughtless and wordless. The ultimate experience of Kino is thoughtless and wordless. Who is Kino? Of course, she's beautiful and she's brilliant and all these things. But it's, um, that's not Kino. That's kind of like, um, it's like mistaking myself for my car. Yeah. Right? A little bit, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. We Absolutely. Don't, we don't make that mistake. So, yeah. yeah, there's, um, it's the undiluted, unedited, uncensored, like, unadulterated, um, unfiltered, called experience of each moment. was just one moment, just this now moment. But but it's even more than that. I remember reading Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now, first time. And, you know, the first time I didn't realize quite how deep he was going. Because the first time through, I was like, oh, presence means being where you are. That's kind of it, like just noticing what's around you, what's going on. That's true. And then as I kept reading, I read it again and again and again. And each time, of course, you know, you highlight more. And before long, the whole book's yellow, right? <laughs> I got like the whole book's yellow. And I remember coming to a place where it's like, oh, no, he's saying something so much deeper, more profound than I'm realizing, which is that true presence isn't just or mostly being present to what's around you. It's being present to presence itself. Mm. And it's a shift in point of awareness. Right, exactly. Like Rupert Pierce says so beautifully, you know, it's just turning awareness back on itself. It doesn't mean that you're not perceiving st- things still, but you're not lost in any discursive thought about any of it. Mm-hmm. And to access that state, you know, in a moment, would mean to have practice and access that state mm-hmm. by yourself. Right. You know, to the depth to which you know yourself, the depth to which you can go with someone else. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's interesting when you're saying this, uh, particularly this idea of, knowing a person is that I find personally that I, I feel like I've gone through so many changes and evolutions as a human being that there are some people that I meet and I can see they're still stuck in the me that they interacted with however many years ago. And it might be positive, it might be negative, but then there's some expectation of a type of energy exchange. And it's like, well, I'm not that anymore. And there's something new here if they're available for it. And some people aren't, some people aren't. And in that way, I feel like there's people that have cycled in and out of my life 
who have been able to adapt. And then some people that, that, that I was just an energetic match for mm-hmm. them in that particular vibration. And then that they're still there oh, wow. and I'm not in that space anymore. Wow. And so there, there is this idea of, you know, different levels of presence that we meet and how that changes the people and beings that are around us, and the experience that's around us. Oh, absolutely. Without question. You're right. Um, I've often wondered this, um, like how many people have I truly known mm-hmm. and how many people have truly known me? Mm. And, 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 um, and part of the challenge is that you can never step into the same river twice kind of thing. Right. Right. Not just because the river is changing every moment because you're changing every moment. Mm-hmm. Right. Sometimes we change the same thing. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. But particularly for folks, I think um, I've met that are intentional about, you know, being aware that they're on the spiritual path, you know, and they're always changing all the time. So, but the problem, and I remember seeing this, reading about this in psychology was like, like with social psychology, the challenge is that people actually change a lot, but we're so stuck in our ideas about them that we often don't let them change in our own minds. And then sometimes that will trigger them to, to revert back to what they used to be because of our, the power of expectation alone. So you're right about that. I just love the um, idea and the possibility of being so consistently and so fully and deeply present that I'm not lost in stories about who a person is, who they should be, who I should be. It's like letting the moment decide. Mm. I love that. Yeah. I think that's a perfect place for us to leave everyone with a little dose of inspiration. Awesome. That's awesome. Thanks, Kino. I so appreciate you. Me too. I appreciate you too. Hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS. And that's at www.omstars.com. You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit, which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.